Bibles or uh, your smartphones over to the book of Ephesians as we continue in our worship uh, or in our sermon series on the armor of God and this morning looking at the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Well, uh, I've mentioned this uh, a lot of times because it was a great opportunity for sermon illustrations for quite a while, but I haven't mentioned it in a while. But so if you don't know, uh, uh, Whitney and I uh, purchased the house next door to us in a tax sale, and it was kind of a mess, and we uh, renovated it along with Chris uh, a lot. Uh, Chris did a lot of work. Um, and we renovated the house uh, next door to us, and now Chris and Kat live there in the apartment upstairs. Uh, downstairs is still kind of a scary mess, so don't go downstairs. Um, but uh, upstairs is nice. But in renovating this uh, apartment, um, I was just a bit disorganized in my work. Right, Chris? Just a bit. Just a bit. Uh, Often, I would struggle to find something. And I would struggle for longer than necessary because I needed to find the right tool and I had misplaced or forgotten it. So I think I bought probably like six tape measures throughout this process because I could just never find them. Uh, And oftentimes, Chris would just follow behind me and pick up my mess uh, and make it a little better. But I would struggle cutting something because I had a dull blade, right? And I had bought new blades, but I didn't know where they were. They were just gone. They were somewhere under the mess of everything. And yesterday, I was working over there trying to fix something, and the same thing happened. I just couldn't find anything. That took me forever. But this is actually what I believe we often do, many of us, when we live the Christian life. We have the resources available to us to love God and to love our neighbor, but we struggle in our own power to do these things because we, uh, to accomplish God's work in our own lives and in other people's lives, because we forget that we actually have resources available to us. We forget that God has granted us his Holy Spirit to be with us. We forget that God is already at work in and through us, and we struggle in our own power because we fail to see uh, that we have the right tools available to us, but we're just not using them. And part of what Paul is doing in this passage in telling us to put on the armor of God is reminding us that you already have the armor of God, right? Paul says, put on the armor of God. That presupposes that you already have that armor. You've already received the armor. You have armor ready to put on. He doesn't tell us at the beginning of this passage to make armor or to somehow uh, find the armor of God. He says to put it on, meaning that you already have it. Sometimes we just forget that we already have it, and we need to be reminded. And that's what Paul's going to do for us this morning. We're going to read Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. 
the body armor of God's righteousness is what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So what is this? What is the body armor of God's righteousness? Well, there is a little bit of debate on what Paul means when he says righteousness here. Paul uses this word righteousness in a number of different contexts throughout the New Testament, and it can mean a number of different things. It could mean that Christ has credited his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection to you. Or it could mean your own, uh, the, uh, it could mean the righteousness that you live out in your life, like holiness lived out in your life. Now, that is certainly connected to the first thing, uh, as we'll see here in a moment. But I believe it is this second aspect of this. Given the context and where Paul is going and all of these things, this righteousness is God's righteousness worked out in my life, lived out in my life. So what does righteousness mean? Well, righteousness means something that's conformed to God's law. What is right and true and just and good? Holiness might be another way in which we often speak of this. Holiness or righteousness. It means not doing all that God says not to do and doing all that God says to do in thought, word, and deed. It means both private holiness and public holiness. It means both personal holiness and corporate holiness. All of these dimensions are part of what righteousness means. And you can see that displayed throughout all of the scriptures. Often when we speak of holiness and what it means for Christians to be holy, we sort of land in one area or the other. We land in very big public ways, like are you pursuing justice and mercy? Are you pursuing these things? Or we land in very personal ways, like are you obeying God with your mind and your heart? Are you not uh, uh, doing evil things in private and alone? But the Bible speaks to both of those realities. That righteousness encompasses both of these realities. And so Paul says, you are going to put on a body armor of holiness. A body armor of righteousness. Remember, this uh, uh, metaphor that Paul is using of a Roman soldier equipped with armor is He said, right, you're going to stand firm. This is a defensive armor. So the question is, how is holiness a defense against Satan in spiritual battles? How is holiness a defense against the tactics of Satan in spiritual battles? Well, first of all, holiness is a good way to define what holiness looks like in us is the good life that God designs for us. Remember, the law of God is good. He has given it to us for good purposes. Not because he's some cosmic killjoy, but because he loves us and he knows how life ought to function best. He knows how we are to thrive and build community and love one another. All of these things he knows intimately. And so he's given us his law in order that we would conform our lives to it so that we would live a good, holy, happy life in him. Now, we talked last week about putting on the belt of truth. And we need to have the truth of God against the accusations of Satan, right? We talked about this, that when Satan accuses us, we need to combat that with the truth that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. 
that no accusation can stand against us because Jesus has forgiven us. We need that truth. Well, another way to stand against Satan's accusations is holiness and integrity, consistency, and not having anything for Satan to accuse us of. A defense against the work of Satan is actually pursuing Jesus well. Walking with Jesus well. This leads to a happiness in God. A holiness or a wholeness leads to happiness in God. Now, it's important to note that putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the body armor of righteousness, and pursuing holiness and happiness in God does not mean that everything is going to go well, right? Otherwise, it'd be like the sweater vest of holiness, right? It's body armor. It means things are not going to go well, right? You are going to need a defense. It's not that life is going to go great, right? That, that, that the holy life is the easy life or the good life by the world's standards. No, it's going to be difficult. Paul has already told us it's going to be difficult. You need to stand firm in this. But living in this holiness means we're living more in the world to come than in this present reality. More in this place that Logan was just praying about, a place without sin. More and more living in that world, living in that reality, and bringing that into this present world. That's what the church is meant to do. We're meant to take what God is going to do in the future and pull it into this reality to give people a foretaste of what it looks like. And the more and more that we do that, the less and less power that Satan can have over us. The less and less power he can have to twist our mind and to confuse us and to create within us this doubt about God's love or affection for us, about God's working in the world, about God's care for you. And holiness is a pathway to fight against that. And you already have that defense. You already have it. You already have the righteousness that you need to put on in Jesus. Just like you received the truth when you received Jesus, you have received the righteousness of Christ. You know, uh, Paul's here uh, certainly building this metaphor off of a Roman soldier, but he's also building this metaphor off of things that the book of Isaiah says, in which it uses similar language. Isaiah references uh, a belt of righteousness in Isaiah 11 that Jesus will put on, right? That, that the branch from the line of David will come. That's Jesus, and he's going to wear a belt of righteousness. But also in Isaiah 59, Verse 17, it says this, He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Well, Paul's going to use those exact phrases, right? Body armor of righteousness, and and we're going to get to helmet of salvation. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. This is speaking of God equipping himself with these things to come in judgment against the wickedness of Israel to come against the wickedness of Israel, that Israel has not lived up to what God has called them to. They have done wicked things. They have oppressed people. 
They have left them, uh, they have left the poor and the needy and said, you don't matter. They have not honored God with their wealth and with their resources and with their lives. They have submitted themselves to idols, all of these things. And God is going to come in holiness. He's going to cloak himself in righteousness and come. Now that means we, like Israel, have a problem, right? Because we aren't righteous. So you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I'm confused here because you say that this righteousness thing is a good thing, but when Jesus puts it on, it really shows that we are not very righteous, so that doesn't sound very good for us. It sounds like this isn't going to go very well. Like if he's putting on that armor and he's perfect and he's showing up, like we have to contend against Satan and all the forces of evil, but what if we're unrighteous and we have to contend against God himself? It's not good. And this is why the good news of the gospel is so glorious. In Romans, Paul says this in Romans 3. Whoop. Is that the next one? Yeah, yeah, go to that one. We'll come back to that. Uh, In Romans 3, 23 to 24, Paul says this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, of God's righteousness. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Some of your translations may say that God justified us, right? And this word justify is related to the word righteousness. It's really, we really need an English word called righteousify. That's really what the word means, right? That God makes you righteous, Freely makes us right in his sight. You see, in what God has done in Jesus is this. God has come. He has taken his, uh, your sin and put it on Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross in your place for the penalty of your sin. And then what God has done is said, all those who trust in Jesus by faith, you know what you get? You don't get your sin You get Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' perfect holiness, his perfect record is credited to you. So he takes your sin, you take his righteousness. This is the theological term justification. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, question 33 says this about justification. What is justification? It is an act of God's free grace where he pardons all our sins, right? He forgives all your sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Imputed meaning given to you, right? Credited to your accounts, right? You have negative righteousness. Jesus takes your negative righteousness, pays the penalty for your sin and gives you positive righteousness, right? It's not just that when God forgives us, he gives us a blank slate. He says, no, your account is full of righteousness. It's as if you obeyed me fully. I'm not going to treat you as if you disobeyed me. No, I'm going to treat you as if you have always obeyed me fully in everything that you do. This is the righteousness of God given to us, credited to us, And given to you 
simply by faith and faith alone. By receiving Jesus, repenting of your sins, and trusting in Jesus, this is yours. This is glorious. Now, the question is, okay, if that is credited to us, what then do we do to live out holiness? Right? Because remember I said, I think what Paul is focused on here in Ephesians is not this aspect of being justified by God's righteousness given to us, but it being lived out in us, right? Now, I'm going to hopefully show you the connection, all right, so that you don't stare at me with blank stares, all right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna land this plane and show this connection, right? right? So we're going to move from this justification into what is called sanctification. So question 35 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sanctification this way. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. What, what the Westminster Standards is saying here is that you are given the, the righteousness of God in Jesus. It is credited to your account, right? That's justification. And then over the course of your life, God is going to conform you more and more to that righteousness that you already have, right? You are given this glorious righteousness and God is gonna make you more and more like Jesus every day. God is gonna work to make you more and more like him. He's gonna make you more and more like that righteousness that you have already been credited. Now, here's what's really important, right? Does your sanctification affect your justification? I see Hunter shaking his head no in the back, vigorously. No, no. You see, sanctification is this growth process where we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. More and more does not mean perfect and not every day, right? This is a windy path where we go up and down a lot, right? But that doesn't affect that you've been given righteousness. You've already been given it. You are 100% saved. You are 100% righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. And yet what God is going to do by his spirit is to make you more and more like that and less and less like your old sinful nature. Does that make sense? All right. So what... Paul says about this in Romans 8, he says this, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Some of your translations might say to conform them to the image of his son, right? To become like his son. You see, what Paul is saying here is, because some of us, right, our natural question is, well, if our holiness doesn't affect whether we're accepted by God, why don't we just not be holy? Because if it doesn't affect it, why not just have both things, right? Have sinful fun and righteousness. Like, why not just have both? And what Paul says is, wait, wait, you're missing the point. God did not just send Jesus so that he could declare you righteous He also sent Jesus so that he could make you righteous like Jesus. 
Both are put together. He is going to conform you to the image of Jesus, make you more and more like Jesus. And the reality is that we already know that when we participate in the old sinful flesh, it actually doesn't go better. It doesn't help. It makes our lives worse. We already know all of those things, right? And so we need to remember that God has already done everything necessary to make us righteous in Christ. And before the foundations of the world, he said, I'm going to make you like Jesus. Before the foundations of the world, right? He knew his people in advance. And he said, I know you not just to love you in Jesus and to save you in Jesus, but also to make you holy in Jesus. It's part of the plan from the beginning. It's part of the plan from the beginning. So you now have the righteousness of Christ. But you know what you often do? Well, maybe I shouldn't say you. You know what I often do? I'll say me. (laughs) I forget that I have the righteousness of Jesus. It's like that tool that I lost. I left it somewhere and it's covered in the debris of my life. And I'm just out there working on my own because I don't know where it is. I've forgotten that I've already been given the righteousness of Christ. Right? You, that's like getting ready for a battle. And then you're like, hey, dude, where's your armor? Ah, I think it's in the closet at home. Right? No, don't hang it up in the closet. Put it on. That's what Paul says. He says, put on the armor. He doesn't say, hey, guys, we have this armor. He says, put it on. You have it already. You need to put it on. Now, how do we do that? How do we put on the armor of God? How do we put on this righteousness? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, this is one of my favorite verses of what it means for us to pursue holiness. He says, for the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed and can see, or all of us that have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Changed into his glorious image. What Paul is trying to say here is, if you want to go to the next slide here, is that, oh, not this one. Wait, is there another slide with a diagram? There isn't? Dang it. All right. Struggling. Uh, yeah, there's no, nowhere to draw it. All right. Uh, so what Paul is trying to say here, here, I'm going to, well, no, this is not going to work. Okay. It's, it's a simple diagram. I'll just explain it. All right. So imagine for a moment a whiteboard and the word beholding and the word becoming, right? Now, there's an arrow from beholding to becoming and from becoming back to beholding. Got it? All right. So let me explain it, right? What Paul is saying here is, When we believe in Jesus, the veil over our hearts that prevents us from seeing God's glory is gone. You now have the righteousness of God in Christ. 
and you can now behold Jesus. You can look at Jesus. You can look at the glory of God. You can see his glorious character in God's word. You can be in awe of who he is and worship him. And that, right, is the way in which we're transformed. See and reflect the glory of the Lord, right? It's just like anything else in life. If you wanna get better at something, you wanna watch someone do it and then imitate them, right? That's how we, that's how we do it. That's how you get better at something is by watching somebody do it well and then imitating them. Discipleship is just like this, is watching and beholding Jesus, seeing Jesus, learning from Jesus, and then imitating Jesus. That's it. That's what it means to be holy. Discipleship, I was listening to a podcast recently with a pastor named John Mark Comer. I've referenced him before in some of the books that he's written but he was talking about discipleship as like muscle memory. That muscle memory is this thing, right, that uh, uh, basketball players talk about it all the time, right, that your shot needs to be the same every single time, right, that your arm is doing the exact same thing every time so that you're online every time, right? And this is true in, in uh, other sports as well, right, that you want to develop muscle. How do you develop that? Just doing it over and over and over again. It's the only way to develop it, right? So if we are to develop the righteousness of God, you know what we gotta do? Worship Jesus over and over and over again. Come near to Jesus and he will transform you, right? What does it say? The spirit of God will make you more and more like him. You're not gonna make yourself more and more like Jesus. The spirit of God is going to make you more and more like Jesus as you worship him, as you come near to him, as you see him, as you behold him, you will become like him, right? It's like getting dressed every day, right? Remember to put off the old dead nature and put on the new, put on the righteousness of Christ that is yours in Jesus, right? I'm sure that every morning you don't wake up and watch a YouTube video on how to put on a shirt right? Because it's just kind of standard. But if you've ever dressed a toddler, you know that it takes some learning to put on a shirt, right? They get super frustrated because their hands disappear. And they're like, where is my hand? And you're like, just wait, you got to push it up. But they're so mad because they can't get their hand in. That's what it's like when we first start walking with Jesus, right? Like this is new. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. My old ways were totally different. And this new righteousness that I'm putting on, it's foreign. It's new. It's different. But the more and more that you put it on, the more and more comfortable you get wearing that body armor. The more and more comfortable you get in the righteousness of Jesus. Right? The Christian life is exactly like this. We just keep beholding Jesus and becoming like him. We keep seeing him and practicing the same things. So in order to do that, right, we have to put off our old sinful nature. We have to repent, right? We have to repent of sin that God exposes to us. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin, 
right? The old sinful nature has been crucified with Jesus. It's gone. It's dead. Consider yourself dead to sin. And then uh, repent of the ways in which God showcases this to you. And then put on the righteousness of Christ. Believe the truth of the gospel and put on the easy yoke of Jesus. The beauty of this, guys, is that the righteousness has already been given to you and the work of growth is by the Holy Spirit in you. When Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, this is what he's talking about. I'm doing the heavy lifting. You, you can't do the work of holiness. You, it's impossible for you to make yourself more holy, right? And you know this if you've tried, right? If you are struggling with anger and you just tell yourself, stop being so angry, has that ever worked? Anyone ever have that work? Like when you beat yourself up over and over again, you're like, man, you idiot. Why didn't you just do this right? Has that ever changed you? No. Instead, come and worship Jesus and his patience and God will make you more patient. Come near to Jesus and experience his love and grace. Come near to him and experience his love for you and he will transform you to be like him. Come watch the way he meets with the father and he will make your heart want to meet with the father. Come watch the way he engages broken, difficult, hard people. Come watch the way he goes near to the oppressed and the vulnerable. And you will see and experience the same heart, right? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As you worship Jesus, your heart will align with Jesus. And so if you want to worship Jesus, you got to see him in his word and then do what he does. It's really simple. We make this far more complicated than it needs to be. It's worship Jesus and let the Holy Spirit radically wreck your heart and transform you. Now, two things that Paul notes in this that are really important for us is that it is incremental change. Makes us more and more like him, right? Uh, you may, in, in your translation, it, say, it may say from one degree of glory to another, right? It really, like in the Greek, it's from glory to glory, but the very real thing in the, the, the phrase here is incremental change. You've been given the righteousness of Jesus who is holy and pure and glorious. And you start just not there. Let's just say we just start not there, right? Like we're not there. And God's going to change us and make us more like that from one degree to the next. Meaning it's gonna be slow. And it's probably going to be way slower than what you want. That's okay. Jesus is the one at work. We have freedom to fail. 
We have freedom to struggle. We have freedom to walk in this slowly because God is doing something slow. He's always been about slow, right? We saw this when we were looking at the book of Exodus, right? God's people are crying out for redemption and for freedom and liberation. And God says, all right, I'm gonna wait 400 years and then send you a baby. Like he just works slow. That's how he works. So it's gonna be slow in your life. So don't seek to make every change you can possibly make to your life today. Let's just go with one thing. What's the one thing that God's spirit is bringing to your mind right now, right? Because this is the second thing I wanted to note is that this is by God's spirit, right? We believe that God's spirit is real and active. I know sometimes in our reformed tradition, it's like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, right? No, we believe in the Holy Spirit. He's active, he's working, he's present. He's the Lord, he has freedom, he is sovereign, and he does stuff that you're not in charge of, right? So what is the Spirit bringing to mind right now? One way that you can change and put on God's righteousness. One way that you can grow this week. One way that you can worship Jesus and become more like him. That's how God works. Paul's already told us this in in Ephesians 5, right? Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? He relates wine and the Spirit for a reason, right? When you are drunk with wine, you're not in control of your own self, right? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God takes control. God is more in control and has the power and the seat of authority in your life. Are you actually yielding your life to the Holy Spirit? Because he's going to ask you, like, it's going to be slow for sure, but he's also going to ask you to do things that you don't want to do. He's going to ask you, he's going to bring to mind that thing, and maybe you're experiencing that right now where you're like, oh, no, I didn't want to go there. But the Holy Spirit does because he loves you. Because he wants to equip you with the righteousness of God. He wants to make you holy and defend you against Satan and all spiritual attack. He wants to make you more like Jesus. So we've got to do these small steps to behold Jesus, right? Open the scriptures. Come here on Sunday morning and hear God's word. Be with God's people. Come to the Lord's table. Be filled with God's spirit and small steps to become more like Jesus. Just read the gospels and do what Jesus does, right? Love God, love neighbor, rest, pray, talk to the father, right? Just imitate Jesus. We watch them, or when we wanna imitate someone, we watch them, we spend time with them, we do what they do. So spend time with Jesus. Spend time alone with God. Spend time with God's people. Spend time with the vulnerable. Welcome and love people. And most of Jesus's life too, right? If we're just imitating Jesus's life, most of his life was just doing a regular job, right? Like he had a very small amount of ministry. He glorified God in all that he did, the whole, his whole earthly life. You don't have to be in ministry to glorify God. 
You don't have to be doing some great and glorious thing so that God would take notice of you. It's just the simple everyday rhythms of life. Putting on the righteousness of Jesus and stepping into the world and loving people. And when we're knocked down, when we sin, when we make mistakes, when we fail to love God and fail to love neighbor, don't beat yourself up. Don't think that God has, not only did he rip the the body armor of righteousness off of you, but he took it away. You don't get to put it back on. No, that's not what he does. He doesn't take it away from us. You don't have to go build new armor. You were given the armor. You just have to put it back on. This is a daily, even moment by moment task to put off my old self and to put on the armor of God, being conformed to the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Remember I said that Paul is keying off of Isaiah 59 and we read part of that where Jesus is gonna show up in righteousness, right? Well, the rest of that passage goes on to say this. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sin, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. See, God's gonna show up in righteousness and holiness to buy back those who have turned from their sin. To give you the righteousness of Jesus. To clothe you with it. To come near to you. To redeem you. And he has said, I will never take my spirit away from you. You will always have my presence with you. So, brothers and sisters, let's repent of our sins, trust in the righteousness of, God, of Christ that has been given to us, and then let's be conformed to that same righteousness by the Spirit of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. God, we thank you for the way that you are, have come near to us. Lord, we want to put on the righteousness of God. We want to be transformed by your holiness, by your grace and love. So God, would you help us to do it? Would you remind us of who you are and what you're doing? Would you remind us of all the things that you are about? And Jesus, would you gain all glory and honor in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.